This is 900 Ackland Avenue. The podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from November 7th, 2021. Thank you and God bless. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one teeth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a simply beautiful morning. The weather is gorgeous and the sun is shining. But even better than that, we are gathered together here with you among us. Thank you for the invitation that you offer us to come and meet with you here every week. Thank you that you don't stay here when we go and that you go with us all day, every day in our lives. This morning, give us the wisdom to, to hear your message. Give us open hearts to, to really plant the seeds deep in our hearts so that we can remember what we hear this morning, remember the worship that we partake in, and that we will take it with us into our week. Thank you again for this beautiful day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. This is the first Sunday in November. The first Sunday in November is always a special Sunday for us because of our relationship with Room in the Inn, which is an amazing uh, homeless ministry here in town. Room in the Inn houses individuals from November 1st through March 31st. And for many years here at Ackland, Sunday nights has been our night, and we would host folks in our building every single Sunday night from November 1st until March 31st, so 20, 22 times. And uh, raise your hand, kids and adults, if you've ever been part of Room in the Inn here in our basement. It's been a big ministry, hands down, good job. It's been a big ministry for us. During COVID, it's been different. Last year we did it in a, an adjacent facility they bought. Their, their location's only about a mile from us, uh, towards, kind of towards the Gulch area. This year, we're gonna be doing it again. It's a little different. We're gonna be doing it on the second floor of room in the end, but there's an opportunity to, um, for men to be invited to spend the night there, but also provide food. Normally our tradition is when we do it here, we get the pillows that are used and the kids all come together and we lay hands on the pillows and pray over it. We're not gonna do that for a variety of reasons, but I do want Paul Spivey to come up and offer a prayer now uh, for room in the end. Paul, Paul, how long have you worked at room in the end? About six years, but before that, he um, and he continues in that role now, kind of organizes our work with Room in the Inn. But it's getting colder out there, right? And we come here this morning with coming from warm places and warm beds and an extra hour of sleep. How great is that? Okay. But as it gets colder, let's never forget those that um, don't have housing or in insecure housing situations. So Paul's going to come up and offer a prayer now. Father, I'm so thankful to be a church with this group of people who have joined 
with the larger community in Nashville uh, to use their time and their energy to show uh, concern for our brothers and sisters who are struggling with homelessness. We are aware that we are that, that our offering is not a full solution. Um, we confess that our our help looks small against the problems and, and the real pain that is in our city. So we ask that you look upon our feeble attempts to love our neighbors with grace and with mercy. We ask you to be present and bless the lives of the unhoused. Bless those that we'll encounter through this program this year. Whatever their situation, Lord, we we ask that you show up in our midst, in our conversations, in the meals that we share together. Heal their bodies that are under so much stress, lift their spirits, and, and create a path for them that leads to safe housing, to good health, and to your peace. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Normally people come forward at the end of the message. <laughs> Never a bad time to repent. Okay. So a few years ago, we began the tradition of giving our fifth graders brand new Bibles as they began middle school. And everyone that's there that night at our back to school blessing, we invite them to sign the inside of the Bible and put their favorite scripture. And for some years, my favorite scripture has been Psalm 30, specifically Psalm 30, verse 5, which I always go back to the King James Version. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And I love that scripture because it reminds us of the cycle of reality that we all experience. That we are caught up in this cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. We see it around us now, the falling of the leaves, and it's so beautiful. But none of us are saying, well, we're never going to have leaves ever again. They're gone. Because <laughs> we've been around the block long enough to know the leaves will come back in the spring. This is just a natural part of life. I believe the death and resurrection of Jesus is true. The most important things that have ever happened in the universe so true and so important that it demonstrates how we live our lives in this constant cycle of birth, death, and new birth. Early on, during the time of the pandemic, I kept thinking, I can't wait till we get back to normal. And then I remember the day I realized that we were not going to go back to normal. Uh, it's, it's the old cliche, you can't dip your toe in a river twice because it's just going to keep going. So... Life is always in a state of flux, and so as we come back, it's, it's never exactly the same, what it was for. I mean, people move, people change, things happen. Our church is in a cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. So I want to speak to that for about three weeks until November 28th will be the first Sunday of Advent, and we'll kind of morph into the liturgical year. But I want to speak to this cycle specifically as it applies to our specific congregation for about three weeks. And I want to cement this series in John chapter 14 through chapter 17. Because this is when Jesus interacts with his apostles at the Last Supper about their understanding 
of change. They're concerned about change. They're concerned about his coming death and what that might mean for their experience of birth, death, and rebirth. Our reading this morning comes from John chapter 14, 1 through 21. If you'd like to stand with me for the reading this morning, John chapter 14, 1 through 21. And if you'd like to join with me in the bold section, feel free. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Together, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thank you. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands together, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Thank you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is God's word. You may be seated. Very quickly, I want to chart out the movements in this reading, and then I want to spend a longer time applying it to the life cycle of the Ackland Church. First, Jesus comforts them by telling them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm going to prepare what we think of in both Isaiah and Revelation as the new heavens and new earth. Before anything else happens, friends, know this. You are loved. And when we believe in Jesus, we can know that we will live with him forever. Forever. And nothing can take that away. But the second movement is they experience some anxiety about that departure. It's one of the mysteries of Scripture. Jesus says, you're going to live with me forever. That gives very little details on what that's going to be like. Or when it's going to happen. 
even says, it's not for you to really know. And that causes a lot of anxiety because, whoo, how often do you get on the news feed and you're like, what's going to happen next, right? It causes a lot of anxiety. So in the third movement, Jesus reminds them, stay focused, I am the way. I am the way. You don't have to spend a lot of time wondering what the way is, wondering what path to take. Just keep following me. And following Jesus is continuing in his path. The trajectory of our lives is continuing the will of God, the teaching of God. He says, do the same thing I'm doing. Some of you remember when you first learned to play an instrument, first learned to roller skate, first learned to throw a baseball. And you had a mentor that said, watch what I'm doing, do the same thing. Watch what I'm doing, do the same thing. And that's what Jesus says to us. And then fifth, he says, this will only happen because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. My favorite part of the passage, I will not leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit's going to come and remind you that I've not abandoned you and I continue to be with you even as I return to the Father's right hand. So Jesus comforts them and basically says, there is a cycle of birth, death, and new birth that you're going to go through. Hang on. (laughs) But I'm with you and it will end in life. It will end in life, but be prepared. As I say this this morning, I want to take us through the cycle of this at the Ackland Avenue congregation because we are currently going through a type of death and a type of new birth. And it is both exciting and really, really hard. But it's not the first time we've done this. So those of you that like history, we're going to do a little history this morning. Ackland Avenue Church started in 1934. We split off from the Lawrence Avenue Church of Christ. But not that Lawrence Avenue Church of Christ. We split off from what ultimately became the Concord Road Church of Christ in Brentwood. They repaired that relationship within 10 years, so no animosity to our friends at Concord Road. But why did they split? It's a really interesting split. The elders left. How often have you seen a split where the elders get so frustrated? They're the ones that pack up and leave. But that's what happened in 1934. The elders left, and they left the preacher and most of the congregation. And what was the issue? The issue was that of a located preacher. That was still in the era that many, quote-unquote, evangelists would travel around. The most historical example would be the idea of the, um, the Methodist circuit rider. would probably have that kind of, kind of backdrop. But evangelists would often, um, we pray for whatever that is. Every time an ambulance passes, I'm interested. I don't know what that is, but I pray that the Lord is with them. Um, a located preacher was not really something that was happening yet. But the congregation thought, he's a really good preacher. We want to hear from him every Sunday. And he thought, I'm a really good preacher. I want to preach every Sunday. And the elders were like, we prefer to rotate the teaching. We don't really like this or where it might lead to. And so they left and they started a house church in 1934. Now, not a house church like, let's get some beanbags in a circle and make it informal. They bought a house and set it up like an auditorium in the living room with like rows of chairs and, and, and stuff like that. Um, that meant that from the earliest days, the Ackland Church had a do-it-yourself ethos. Even as they ultimately caved on the located preacher. I guess I'm a located preacher. I never thought of myself as, 
as located. That's a conversation later. But um, <laughs> it's always had a do-it-yourself ethos. Why would we pay someone else to do it? We can do it ourselves. Why would we pay someone to do the sidewalk? We can do it ourselves, right? We just got done doing that. Why would we buy curriculum? We can write our own curriculum. We wrote our own curriculum for years. Why would we? There's still a hole in the ceiling. It's been there a while. I bought the speaker. You might have heard there's supply chain issues. We'll get to it, okay? It's the do-it-yourself ethos that we still see 87 years later with the Ackland Church. In the late 1930s, the periodical, the Gospel Advocate, wrote about the church. Now, one article they did in the late 1930s, we had established peace with Lawrence Avenue, now Concord Road, and there was an article about that, some good conversations, because there had been tensions with any split, but that got killed over. That's good. But they came and they, they said, they did an article on this new church plan, and they said that after looking at the preaching and the singing and the building, one could say that the congregation offered nothing attractive save the gospel. And when we found that article a few years ago, we thought that that was such a backhanded compliment, like such a bless their heart type of thing. And we thought it was funny. And even now, I think, I think Larry's a good song leader. I was thinking out there in the parking lot. He's still got it, even outside. And, uh, you know, I'm not bad for a located preacher, but... Uh, we do pray that we can continue this ethos of simplicity so that you can look at us and say, there's not much attractive of that church, but it made it easy for me to see the gospel because there wasn't a lot of other distractions. That is our hope. So much so that um, we thought this was so funny that the, re the retreat we were going to do in 2020, Bob made t-shirts that said, no attraction saved the gospel. And then it got shelved because of COVID. But we brought them back. And there's a sample on the foyer table. You get your very own Ackland Avenue No Attraction Save the Gospel t-shirt. 1934 at the retreat this weekend. Which I'm thinking printing t-shirts about goes against simplicity. But just work with me. Okay. The 1950s and the 60s were the numerical high for the congregation. This building was built in 1952, and uh, the congregation had two services at the peak. Uh, numerical high was about 280. It was a neighborhood church. People would walk here. This was also the decade that the Crouches and Eubanks that were stalwarts of this church forever, this was the decade that they came. <clears throat> However, after that high point, there began to be a type of death uh, in, in the congregation. Some of that was literal. Some of the founding members passed away. Bill Crouch tells the story of going to an elder's deathbed and him handing him like the notebook of all the church records. Paul, did he hand you the same notebook? Uh, I got the checkbook. He got the checkbooks. <laughs> close enough, right? Through this history, what's interesting is 87 years, we're only on our third set of elders. We, we're very selective and we do it rarely. And we run them into the ground. That's just kind of our path. Okay. Um, but it was also a type of death in that white flight began to happen. And they built the I-65, which cut up the neighborhood. And they started to build the suburbs. And so a lot of their good friends left. And the church got a lot smaller. And, and the neighborhood changed. You've read about the 60s. It was a lot of cultural chaos, similar to now, Right. And this was a really hard time, and the Ackland that they had come to was, was no more. 
There's a type of death. But even in that type of death, there is a type of rebirth. Because the people that were here said, we love this neighborhood, we've been called to this neighborhood, and we're going to continue to see life through the Holy Spirit. And they did that in at least three ways. They had an active bus ministry at the height. They had three different buses. Judy would often tell the story of busing folks over here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, teaching all three times. Brian the other day found VBS records. They had 380 in here, 380 people. I instantly think super spreader. That's how anachronistic I am. But anyway, um, 380 people in here. And uh, Judy would often tell me these stories and with such fervency in her voice. And uh, Fran has told me this story so many times about being at a high school Friday night football game. And a, a kid yells across the bleachers, Miss Fran. And Miss Fran looks and it was one of the kids from the bus ministry. And she said, Miss Fran, I got baptized last Sunday. And Miss Fran said, greatest moments of her life. Because not only did this young person from the bus ministry give their life to Jesus, but she wanted the whole world to know about it. And Fran has told me that story five, six, seven times at least. They also were committed to their neighborhood through Lakeshore, across the streets, a healthcare facility. For years, an earlier manifestation of that building was a retirement and assisted living center affiliated with Churches of Christ. And you can still find some wires here. Uh, where people would listen to the service here, but I've been told we ran a wire over there so people could listen to the service there. So had a long ministry with Lakeshore, and then also a long ministry with college students. They would go and pick up college students at various colleges and, and bring them here. So that was how they saw new birth in that time period. Around 1980, continuing on that college ministry, Miss Dot recruited Paul Prell to come here and be the preacher, if, and I say this with all love. If you're in a how did Paul get here? You can blame Miss Dot, right? Okay. But she went and got Paul, who preached here for 30 years and is still beloved by so many of us. He's still, he's, I don't think he's here today, but he still comes here frequently. Um, but it, there were some college students here, but yet there weren't many kids. And so if you had kids or teenagers, you kind of wanted them to be in a youth group. So you kind of left. And because of that, there was a long season of no kids and no teens, but college students. And that's why we have very few baby boomers at the church to this day is because they kind of all they kind of all left. So it was it was an odd dynamic. And the decline got to where it was either the late 80s or the early 1990s, got down to about 40 or 50 people. And Bill and Beaver told me this conversation many times. They had a conversation. What do we do if we have to close? What do we do if we have to shut this down? Do we have enough money to kind of turn the lights off and, and kind of do that? So. The finality of this specific congregation was close enough in their minds. They entertained the idea, at least. And then on into the 90s, we had a few waves of college students that came. And several of them kept coming after they graduated. And, and they got married and ended up having kids. And a number of you, it's really interesting, a number of you came during that time period. At the same time, a number of you have come in the 10 years I've been here. At the same time... We have double-digit new folks in the last seven months. So that's, there's a lot of different manifestations of people coming to Ackland. It's really interesting. 
So the baby boom of the 2000s, suddenly there hadn't been any kids. And then suddenly worship was loud with babies. And I remember in the early years trying to compete with the babies. And I, I lost most Sundays. Um, a sec- another type of death that happened in the congregation was the flood of 2010. When the basement flooded and the, the church had to meet on the Lipscomb University campus for 11 months. Complicating that season of death was Paul announced his retirement after 30 years. And, and you guys had a, had a preacher search. And so there was just a lot of upheaval. We're repairing the basement. We're out of our church. Our preacher of 30 years is retiring. Most of the congregation had come to the church because of Paul at that point. Or, um, or at least while Paul was the preacher. And, uh, and my story kind of weaves in here because the second Sunday back in the building was the Sunday that I interviewed. The, but coming out of the flood, there was a new commitment or a renewed commitment to the neighborhood and to raising our kids together. And we spent a lot of time in the 2010s working on a, a parent-led youth ministry and parent-led children's ministry, which, which we have now. Um, a lot of churches with as many kids as we have have youth ministers and stuff, and we've always done that parent-led. And also a renewed commitment to the neighborhood, and we've worked with, with Room in the Inn and with Salome and with Bridges for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing and United for Hope, which connects us with public schools. And a lot of ministry has come out of this time period. In 2014, Paul Prill resigned as an elder, which left just Bill and Buford as elders. And they pulled me aside one night and told me they had chosen three men that they would train. They couldn't become elders yet, but they would train them. And if it went well uh, and the congregation felt okay about it, that those would become the next elders. And they said, we want you to work with them and support this transition. And I promised them with the conversation right here. And I promised them that I would. And in my mind, that included not just a transition of elders, but a transition of deacons. After all, we took three of our most active deacons and we made them elders, but we haven't added any more deacons since then. So um, one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to be adding additional deacons at the in the winter spring of next year and we're going to be talking more about that process a little bit and uh, about deacon selection and things like that and how it flows out of our, our church history we've been blessed with amazing deacons at this church but we're gonna slightly uh tweak the way we think about that and uh and and add to that along with that was was the time of discernment we went through in the last few years when the elders asked, have we become more restrictive of women than the first century church? They believed we had, but they wanted to study it together as a church and see what unity supported. And in May of this year, they announced that women could begin speaking and worship and women would be eligible to serve as deacons. So that'll be a part of, of the deacon process that we begin. Now, as I say this, I know that sounds like a lot. And a lot of us are like, oh, it's just one more thing. It's just another thing. There's always another thing. And I'm just tired and I'm worn out. And the church is wearing me out. There's always another thing. So let me give voice to some of our death before I talk about some of our resurrection. So I identify four types of death at Ackland right now. First, 
we're experiencing a lot of grief. Recently, we lost Bill and we lost Buford two years ago. And Fran and Dot and Judy moved into assisted living or retirement homes. And some moved away. And some haven't come back yet because of COVID. And some left because of the results of the discernment. And some of them were my best friends. And I'm not thinking about any one thing, but um, this is not the same church I came to 10 years ago. And um, I've never been more excited about this church than now. I want you to hear that. I'm smiling through my tears. But just life happens, right? And people have moved away or they've gone to churches that were a better fit or some of them have died. And it's not the same church I came to. And some days I'm just sad about that, right? Some of you have been here far longer than me. Some of you have been here seven months. I'm sorry we're getting emotional. But um, I'm just sad sometimes. Second... We're experiencing a lot of fatigue. Like everywhere I go, people are talking about the fatigue of everything we've been through as a society and how it manifests in businesses and healthcare and education and churches and just everywhere. People are tired and leaders are tired. And I want you to know that holds true for Acklin. There's a lot of fatigue. And uh, so when I talk about we're going to have deacon selection, there might be a tendency of, can, do we have the energy for one more thing? And my response would be, we're doing this because we have to. We have to get, we have to empower some of you that are so gifted to take some of the load because of the fatigue. And so many people are. Like, don't take that the wrong way. You guys are amazing. But there's a lot of fatigue. Third, we're experiencing a certain level of anger and resentment. Never in my life have I known so many godly, amazing people who were so angry and resentful. And I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about people who were so full of the Holy Spirit and will be standing in the corner. And uh, I know they're upset because it's people that don't normally swear and then they start swearing, right? You know, and don't swear kids but you know what i'm saying like i'm not judging it's just like like there's deep anger and resentment because we're we're just angry about things that have happened and how people responded and how well fine you do this but then it caused this for me and you did this but did you think about me did you think about other people and just there's a lot of anger and resentment and jesus got angry for sure and anger is not always bad but I mean, have you ever stopped to think lately, like, a lot of anger, what are we going to do with all this? It's got to go somewhere. Like, it can't just fester forever. That's not going to be healthy. So what are we going to do with our anger? And then fourth, the fourth type of death I see is there's a lot of doubt uh, in the air now because of the trauma of recent years. And that doubt would be all over the place. The existence of God core Christian beliefs, the purpose of the church, the character of 
people that are close to you, family or friends, and maybe you are doubting the character of some people you used to have in such high regard, or maybe our role in society, including politics. So those are the types of death, not just at our church, but I see in the air. And I don't have a lot of answers. I just think it's important to name it. And once again, I'm a person of hope. In the midst of this, I have days when my grief turns to joy, when my fatigue turns to renewal, when my anger and resentment turns to reconciliation, and when my doubt turns to faith. And this is all a sign of the resurrection that comes after the crucifixion. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. So I'll close with three important things that, that I want you that I want you to hear. Because I wanted to name some things, but I, I sincerely mean this. I've never been more excited about this church. Like, there's a new birth coming for us, and I can't wait. Like, I'm pumped about it. But the elders and I are talking about at least three things we want to tell you. First, the elders have no plans for another discernment process like what we went through. I didn't expect that to get a laugh. <laughs> you need to know it. There's no plans for an additional one. This process of change was meaningful, but it was draining. It took a lot out of us, and we don't believe we can do that again anytime soon. The elders set the president that when we precedent that when we make a doctrinal change, we'll go slowly, we'll study it, and we'll do it exhaustively. We we can't do that again. Like I don't know what we do it over next time. Some of you have asked me, what's the next thing? There's not a next thing. Um, so this is Ackland. <laughs> so like, this is it. This is who we are, at least for a while. And uh, I mean, things come up pastorally, and we'll deal with those, do the best we can through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, I know, are, are a little trepidatious. Like, is there another thing? And I want you to hear me say, there's not, there's not another thing. And some of you are like, but there really needs to be another thing, and I need to tell you, we just can't do that right now. We need a time. I'm not setting a time limit, and I'm not in charge even, but um, we need a time of, of stability, and that's what we're committed to. Second, we're starting a Sunday morning class starting in December entitled Rooted, Gifted, and Called. And here's why we're doing this. I want to be very clear. Women have been doing heavy lifting at this congregation since 1934. Um, we would have closed up long ago without from the ministry of women. But we have changed um, some of our things about women in ministry, women doing things, right? So we've taken some of the barriers off, which has said, um, I called a, a lot of women to ask, well, what, what should I do? Like, what am I gifted at? Like, if, if, if the restrictions are gone, like, what should I do? And quite honestly, a lot of you guys have never stopped to think, what am I good to do? You were still drying off from your baptism, and they put you down to lead a prayer next Sunday. And there was not a discernment over what you're called to do and what, what you're gifted at. And so we want to do a conversation about what it means to be rooted in God and the Holy Spirit, what it means to be connected. Because the pandemic really upset a lot of the ways that we normally got spiritual nourishment. It has made us think differently about spiritual nourishment. So we talk about being connected, but also what are we good at? 
We don't want people serving God out of religious guilt. We want people doing ministry out of a sense of what they're called to do and empowered to do. And then the third thing is, in the next two weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about our deacon selection process, which will include baptized women and men. And it's going to be a very holistic conversation that I think is going to be exciting. One thing I want you to know about it is we are moving to where becoming a deacon will not be a Supreme Court appointment. You're not committing to the rest of your life. We're going to do three-year terms for deacons. So it'll be a three-year commitment. And every three years, you can re-up again or you can get a time out. Some of our deacons have served for years and years. And I love the do-it-yourself ethos of this church going back to 1934. But we have a tendency to wear out certain people. And uh, we're trying to do better about that. So that's going to be one thing about it is kind of the three-year terms. Here's the exciting thing I want to tell you. And here's how I know that even after the death, the new birth is coming. We're still here. We're still here. I hang out a lot with ministers. um, And I'll I'll be hanging out with our elders after I've hung out with ministers. And they'll go, what's the scoop at that church? Or what's the scoop at this church? And I have a recurring thing. They can probably quote it, but I'll always say, I would not trade our problems for their problems. It's crazy out there, friends. I would not trade our problems for their problems. I'm so glad to be church family with you. We've gone through a type of death, but Easter's coming, and it's going to be a time of renewal, and I'm so, so excited. We're going to transition now to the Lord's table. Communion's on the back table if you haven't got it yet. I believe Matt has communion. We're going to transition to that now. reread something that we read earlier um, from that John passage. And I want you to, like, listen to the nerd, the, like, think about Thomas um, and think about how nervous he was in, in saying this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And I want you to think about that feeling of like Thomas depends on Jesus in a huge way and he is super nervous about the future because he's like really really nervous and what I want us to hear now and think of as we 
partake of this is what Jesus answers with. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So as we partake of this, I want you to think about how every week we think about Jesus in this way. Um, and that Jesus continues to influence us and be there for us in ways that I can't explain to you right now in words. But I hope you feel that, and I hope you know that. And uh, we're just going to keep walking behind our Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are so grateful for your Son. We're so grateful for the life um, that he lived. We're so grateful for his death what that meant, and we're ultimately beyond words um, in thinking of his resurrection, Lord. And I just, I thank you for his body that was broken for us. So as we partake of this bread that represents his body, I pray that we can think about Jesus and what it means for us to follow him. So in his name we pray. Amen. Let's pray once more. Father God, I'm here. Just so grateful for Jesus. And I pray that we can live with the joy knowing that we are cleansed through his blood that was sacrificed. Please um, bless us now as we partake of this fruit of the vine that represents his blood, Lord. And I pray that we would able, be able to just more fully realize what it means to follow our follow Jesus and uh, be uh, a light uh, that reflects your light uh, in this world. And just let me pray. Amen.
be reading from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. If you'll pray for me, please. Dear God, thank you for today, for the chance to be together, for the promise that your son is in heaven and waiting to bring salvation to us. Pray that you help us while we are waiting to wait with diligence and to, to remember that we are the hands and feet of Christ in this world, to listen to the ways you are calling us to serve, to take care of each other, to be present for each other, and not only those of us in this body, but our community and our world. It was good to hear our story this morning, to learn about who who we are, who we have been. To remember that you've been with us through all of this and that you are continuing to be with us. I pray especially for JP and Beth and Nora and Caroline and Maisie and for Paul and Amy and Lucy and Sophie and for Matt and Sarah and Charlie and Jonah and Zora and Brian and Brian and Mary Paul and Ellie and Henry and for the ways that they serve us faithfully and the sacrifices that they make. Pray that you will give them a special encouragement and strength and help us all to listen to you, to follow you, and to wait. In Jesus' name we pray. We've got a couple of birthdays to announce. We've got three, actually. Uh, November 9th is Linda Woods, um, so congrats. Um, Austin Nichols, November 11th. And then on November 13th, Bob Hoskins. So be sure to give them well wishes and, and happy birthdays. Uh, we have a couple of superheroes in our congregation. Um, Clay Jones and Daniel Copeland have done a fantastic job on that sidewalk outside. Uh, it's so, so many of you. So just thanks to them for heading that up and for all of everyone who's, who's taken part of making that happen. Um, 
As JP mentioned, we've got Room in the Inn coming up, so if you haven't checked out the sign-up sheet, go ahead and do that. And uh, this upcoming weekend, uh, starting Friday, is our retreat. And uh, that's going to be going through the Sunday morning of the 14th, and uh, that will be at the State Park Lodge, the Group Lodge of Cedars of Lebanon State Park. And uh, looks like this year's theme is, what did God teach you over the last two years? That's pretty cool. So be thinking about that. And uh, the cost is going to be $10 per person uh, with a max of 40 per family. And it's just $5 if you're coming up for just one meal. Um, everything starts at Friday at 6, and there'll be a, a pizza dinner. And... Um, yeah, go ahead and, and make sure you Venmo or uh, give cash or check to, to Paul. And uh, food needs to be coordinated, so go ahead and uh, do that as quickly as you can. Uh, also, yes, uh, this Wednesday's gathering is going to be at the Conways, as usual. And um, we're looking up for some things in the future for the... Thanksgiving potluck that's going to be coming um, so you can check out your bulletin and uh, check your email for details about that coming up and uh, tonight there will be a small group meeting and the 21st and besides that there's not going to be any Sunday service at the building until the Apple Christmas party on the 5th so um, grab some coffee and uh, yes You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.